Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Starting a series on wisdom, summer school. How can we grow wise this summer? And there's so much wisdom in the book of Proverbs, and we're just gonna just hit the surface um, over three weeks in June because we dug real deep in um, looking at the Holy Spirit, His work in our life. And there's so much I could cover in Proverbs, but I want to give you guys a good starting point for your personal study and your personal devotion because if the only time you're reading God's Word is on Sunday, you're not growing, all right? And so I want to encourage you, there are 31 Psalms. You can read a Psalm a day and grow wiser, but we're going to look at um, what it means, the beginning of wisdom today. And so if you don't know what Proverbs is, Proverbs was written by a guy named Solomon, who was um, said to be the wisest person to ever live. He was the son of King David and became the third king of Israel. And he was about 19, 20 years old when he became the king of Israel. And God came to Solomon one night and said, look, I'll give you anything that you want. Just ask it of me. And Solomon's like, Lord, like who am I to lead such a great people that you've entrusted me with? And he says, look, I need wisdom. I need wisdom more than need anything else. And God rewarded him as a result. Not only did God reward him with the ability to gain wisdom, but he also rewarded him with wealth and he rewarded him with land and he rewarded him with loyalty from his people. And, and so many other things came as a result of wisdom because Solomon could have asked for anything. How many of you know that if God shows up in the middle of the night and says, look, ask for anything and I'll give it to you. I'm going to be like, Lord, I got some bills that need to be paid, right? Or I'm, I'm, I'm parenting a teenager. Can you help me out with that? But, but Solomon in this place, in this moment, asks for wisdom, and God rewarded him with that. And then what we see in, in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes is, is Solomon is sharing this wisdom with us. And really, Proverbs, he's sharing it with his son, and his, his future sons for his legacy. And we see in the first nine chapters of Proverbs, it's really explaining the benefits of wisdom. And once we get into chapter 10, that's where we start seeing all these little sayings. He who is wise walks with the wise, right? And so there's, there's wise sayings on finances, on relationships, on our walk with God. But in the first nine chapters, he's really building this case about wisdom. And we're going to see in verses 2 through 11, it's quite a few verses, but it says this. So let's tune our ears because Solomon says, tune your ears. And he says, concentrate on understanding, cry out for insight, ask for understanding, search for them as you would silver, seek them like hidden treasures, then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God for the Lord grants what? Wisdom. The Lord grants wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. 
He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest. And we all probably know people that need a little more of that, right? He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the path of the just and he protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right, just and fair. And you will find the right way to go. Verse 10, it says, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. And I think wisdom is something that our, our society, our culture, my family needs more than anything else right now. Would you guys agree? And so when we look at this topic of wisdom and knowledge and, you know, is knowledge and wisdom the same thing? And even though we see Solomon use these words of knowledge, of wisdom, of insight, of understanding, of instruction, there's all these words that, that are leading up to and are building towards wisdom. And when we look at knowledge and wisdom, they're two different things. And some of you may know this, but if not, let me just lay the foundation that, that knowledge is knowing information. Knowledge is knowing information, just being able to know things. Um, wisdom is knowing what to do with that information, knowing what to do. And, and let me just tweak it maybe a little bit, not, not just knowing what to do, but knowing the right thing to do with that information. So we have, you know, people in our lives that are know-it-alls, right? But they make poor decisions, right? Because they're lacking wisdom. And really, when you look at society today, we don't really have to know stuff. We just have to know how to access it, right? Can I get a, hey, Siri? Can I get a, hey, Google? Can I get a, hey, Bing? Does anybody even use Bing? Like, what is that? No, that's not, that's, that's a waste Holy cow. <laughs> I couldn't plan that. Thank you, Jesus. I want to search for wisdom, <laughs> right? <laughs> but see, so even with that, like you will be out at a restaurant, you'll be at dinner, or you'll be with friends, and, and you guys will be thinking, I'm just blown away by the Holy Spirit just working in that illustration right there. But we don't have to retain information, right? We just have to be able to know how to find it. Um, and now just it's becoming easier and easier to find information. And the truth is there's so much information that it's hard to tell which is the right information. And so wisdom is greatly lacking. Knowledge is, is almost too easy to get right now. And there's this, there's this um, theory called the knowledge doubling curve. Some of you may have heard about this, maybe not. Um, in, in the 19. 80s, there was this gentleman, 1990s, there was this gentleman who, who was looking at, at how much knowledge was increasing. And in 1900, um, human knowledge, general knowledge, it took about a century, about 100 years for the amount of accessible knowledge to double. By 1945, that time frame had changed from 100 years to about 25 years for the amount and, and the access of human knowledge to be able to double. In the 1993, it doubles every 13 months in 1993. The amount of accessible general knowledge doubles every 13 months. And then in 2003, IBM wrote this paper and it said by the year 2020, because of the internet, that the amount of accessible knowledge would double every 12 hours. 
So think about how much access, how much access we have to knowledge that when you wake up in the morning, there's gonna be twice as much information that you have access to than when you woke up today, more than twice as much. And it just blows my mind that we have all this knowledge, but then we look at society and culture, and even in my own life, we lack so much wisdom. And I really think part of the reason is that is because we can access knowledge so easily Whereas before, when you had to write a research paper, you had to go to the library and pull out the card catalog. Anybody remember those? Now you don't have to go to the library. You can just use your phone, right? You can just access information and knowledge so easy. So there's no shortage of knowledge, but there is a shortage of wisdom. How many of you have seen the movie iRobot? Anybody? iRobot Bicentennial Man? Um, wow. I need to like, bring my DVD so you guys can, can watch. iRobot is an incredible movie. A DVD. <laughs> so much knowledge. What's a DVD? What? But the guy who wrote these short stories that eventually became Bicentennial Man and I Robot is, is a guy by the name of Isaac um, Asimov. And he was a, a sci-fi writer. And in 1988, he wrote this, this paper. And in it, he had to quote, the saddest aspect of life right now is that science gathers knowledge faster than society gathers wisdom. And when you look at how much knowledge we have and how, how we put it to use, would you say that in the last 10 years, no, not even that, in the last five years, there are things that we have learned as a culture and a society that we have used unwisely to a detriment because we didn't take the time to cultivate the wisdom that comes with that knowledge, the insight. Solomon said, talks about insight and understanding. We just took the knowledge and tried to do something with it without cultivating insight and understanding. And so when you look at, at, at wisdom and knowledge, it's like this, knowledge builds the Titanic, wisdom avoids the iceberg. Knowledge builds the house, but wisdom cultivates a home. Knowledge understands God, and this is the key. Knowledge understands God, but wisdom walks with God. Because we all know people, and I've said this, is we, we know people who are knowledgeable, but they are still foolish. You can have knowledge, but still be a fool, guys. And, and in, in the first nine chapters, we kind of see this story being told as Solomon is talking about wisdom and folly. And we see this discourse and this conversation and almost this debate between a character named um, Lady Wisdom and another character named Lady Folly. And so there's this debate and, and they're both trying to um, win over people who are passing by in the city. And we see statements like wisdom calls out in the street, Lady Folly calls out in the street. And 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 in, in, in Proverbs chapter one, verses 23, 22 and 23, um, wisdom at this point is calling out. And she says this, she says, how long you simpletons will you insist on being what? Simple-minded. How long will you mockers relish in your mocking? How long will you fools hate knowledge? Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. And so in this, throughout Proverbs, Solomon keeps referring back to these four people, the 
simple-minded, the foolish, the mocker, and the wise. And we automatically want to assume that we are the wise ones, but if we look closely at our life, we will see that we have a little bit of the simpleton, we have a little bit of the foolish, and if we're not careful, we can have a little bit of the mocker in us as well. But, but God wants to move us in a direction of wisdom. So we're going to look at, at the three fools, and we're going to look at the wise person here just for a moment, and then come to what I believe is the greatest and the most important um, ingredient for you growing in wisdom. So let's look at this person called the simple. The simple. It says, how long will you simpletons insist on being simple-minded? In Proverbs 7, 7. And this is Lady Folly saying, I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had what? No sense. I saw among the simple, I noticed the young men and a youth who had no sense. Someone who is simple, simple simple-minded is really someone who just lacks experience. They don't have the knowledge. They don't have the experience. um, They've not been told. They don't have the information. Someone who is naive is kind of the word we use sometimes. They just don't know. They're not foolish on purpose. They're foolish just because they don't have the information. Um, They're young and inexperienced. I know like, you know, raising kids and teenagers, I'm just... I say things that I said I would never say that my parents said to me. Can you guys like connect with that, right? I tell my oldest daughters like, you just don't understand because you haven't had the experience yet. And I promised myself when I was 16 that I would never say that as a dad. But now I find myself saying that because you know what's happened? I'm no longer a simpleton on things like that. I now understand like, oh, there's truth in what my parents were telling me, right? And, and there is this saying and there's this thought that, that ignorance is bliss, right? Because if you don't have the information, you're resolved from the responsibility. And there's been many times I wish I didn't have the information because I didn't want to take responsibility. But once you have the information, you have to take responsibility. And so there is some bliss in ignorance, but then there's also folly in ignorance. There's also like danger in ignorance and, and there's, there's a little bit of, of simpleton in all of us. How many of you have been to a another country, like maybe a third world country where it's, it's not very safe, okay? Um, the first time I went to Africa in 2014, 20, yeah, 2014, um, our drivers were a couple of guys named um, George and Bernard. And as soon as we get there, the first thing my pastor's wife tells me, because she was, she was our um, missionary, like she handles all mission stuff. And the first thing she tells us, when we step down, as soon as we get off the plane, out of the airport, getting into the van, the first thing that she tells us is, whenever George and Bernard tell you to get in the van, what are you supposed to do? get in the van because they know things that I don't know. They have information that I don't have. And here's the thing. I don't have to have the information. I just need to know who has the information. And then I'm no longer simple because I'm following the person who's wise in this situation. And there was a time where we were on the side of the road and we were feeding, we were eating lunch and then some baboons came out and I've never seen baboons in the wild. I've only seen them behind the glass. And so we did what we weren't supposed to do. Guess what we did? We started making peanut butter sandwiches. We would take a bite and we would throw a bite. And so first it was one or two, it was cute. And then there was like 15 or 20 and there was a whole herd. And guess what George and Bernard said? 
get in the van. <laughs> so we didn't ask any questions. We got in the van. And so there's all been times. We all walk through seasons of this in our life in different areas where we are simple because we don't have the information or we don't have the experience, but we have those around us. And so the cure for those of us who maybe are simple and, and don't understand in some areas is we just need some experience. We need some experience. And let me tell you the best kind of experience Someone else's, right? Someone else's experience is the best kind of experience. But we have to, in this moment, when we don't have the experience and we're simple, the wise thing to do is to take the advice of someone else. If we don't, guess what we are? We are the fool. We are a fool. And so we see, we see this. It says in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15, it says, fools think their own way is right but the wise listen to others. They've been given information. So a fool is someone who, who maybe has information. They're not listening to someone else and they think their way is what, guys? The right way. It's like even though they've done it this way before and it didn't quite turn out the way that they thought it was gonna turn out, right? But they think, what, this time will be different. And then they get the same outcome as they had before and they do it the exact same way again. And guess what they think? This time it will be different. You know what doing the same thing over and over and over expecting a different result is? Insanity, all right? It's a really hard workout, but also a really, really bad way to mess up your life by doing the same thing over and over and over expecting a different result. And the problem here is they've been given the information. Maybe they've had the experience, but the consequences were minimal, so they refused to learn from it. Um, these are the guys and gals that are usually the ones that start by saying, hey, hold my beer. Watch this, <laughs> right? These are the ones that, that, that they know that this isn't gonna go well, but they're gonna try it anyways, these are the fools that have the information, but they're gonna do it their way anyway. And, and we all, like this is the person that keeps going back to the cheating boyfriend or the cheating girlfriend, even though they know what's gonna happen. This is the person that keeps gambling after they keep losing their money. This is the person that keeps going back to the Oreos even after they've lost five pounds and don't think they're gonna gain it back. This is the person who's gonna speed through the speed trap, even though they maybe already gotten a ticket, but they think this time it will be different. Don't look around, all right? <laughs> For me, and look, we've, we've all been there. When, when I was a teen driver in high school, my dad, for some reason, was crazy and bought my car before I turned 16. And so he bought it like right after I turned 15. Well, guess what? If I get a car at 15, guess what I think I get to start doing? Driving, right? And so we live like in the country, one stoplight town, 1,300 people, not like Murfreesboro. And so in the summer before I turned 16, my dad and mom actually let me start driving. And so the, the very last day of school, when I was growing up, the last day of school was field day. You got to do fun stuff. You don't get to do fun stuff in school. Now it's just work, 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 work until the last day. And so field day, you take your yearbooks and you take a blanket, you take your boom boxes, and you just hang out all day long. And so my dad was like, you know what? I'll let you drive to school on the last day of school. I was 15. I was like, heck yeah. He said, but nobody with you. Go to school and come right back home. I'm like, all right, cool. I can do that. We live like maybe six miles from the school. And so I have an incredible day at field day. 
my friends find out I'm driving and I'm the coolest ninth grader there is. And so I tell my friend Josh, like, hey, dude, you want a ride? I'll give you a ride home. And so I took my friend Josh home, who lived maybe another five miles from the school, so 10 miles home. And so a couple days go by, and my dad was at work, and then he comes back home, and he's like, hey, I thought, where else did you go? Like, you were just supposed to go to school and back. Where else did you go? And I was like, and this was before, like, cell phones and Life 360 and all. No, he's old school. He wrote down my mileage on the speedometer and checked it from the time that I got home. And he knew I'd went further. And so there's no more driving for the rest of the summer. I was like, ah, man, I didn't. And so it gets closer to the beginning of the school year. And my dad's at work. My mom's having to take my sister somewhere. And my great-grandmother needs groceries. And she's like, hey, can you go grab some groceries and take them to your granny? And she said, go straight there and go straight back. Am I a wise person at this point or am I a fool? And so, so I had a consequence, but apparently it wasn't good enough because I took the groceries to my grandmother. I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go through town one time. There's one stoplight, guys. One stoplight in Adamsville. Guess what I do at that one stoplight? I run it. I run it, and I had a brand new Silverado. Just plowed right into it. I'm crying, and that was before cell phones, so there was a YMCA right there. I had to go into the YMCA. All my friends now have seen me wreck. I had to call my parents. My dad comes. I'm crying. So my punishment for that was they took the car home and parked it in the driveway, and I had to ride the bus <laughs> like for the next six months, and every morning when I got out to go get on the bus, guess what I got to look at? my wrecked car because they didn't fix it. So at that point, I learned my lesson because sometimes what a fool needs in order to gain wisdom is tragedy. We need a consequence that's going to be greater than what we think we can get over. We need tragedy. And I know that sounds harsh. And some of us maybe have experienced some really, really like harsh tragedy. And and what that is, is is it's a wake-up call. Sometimes God uses something to wake us up from our foolishness so we can understand the consequences of continuing on a life on that path. Now, the bad thing is, is tragedies oftentimes maybe not only affect you, in the more serious moments they can affect those around you. But if we are wise in our understanding And we learn from that. If I would have just learned from my dad checking my odometer, I wouldn't have had the wreck. But trust me, anytime I drove from the wreck on, I went where I was supposed to be, and then I came right back. And some of you maybe have walked through tragedies that were extremely traumatic. And just know that even though you may be in the midst of it now, God can still use that. And not just for you, but for maybe someone else. One of the verses we quote here a lot is Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So he can, he can make your tragedy really a part of your testimony. I was talking with somebody before service that, that sometimes we just need our testimony updated and sometimes it's through walking in faith. Sometimes it's just through stupidity and foolishness, Right? But I believe that in every tragedy, there is a lesson that is equivalent or greater than the heartache that we experience if we open our eyes and our ears. 
And something we say is like, nothing is wasted. No heartache, no pain, no tragedy that you go through when you put it in the hands of God, nothing is wasted. And so sometimes we're simple, sometimes we're foolish, and I hope that none of us are this. And Paul says, or or Solomon says, that there is those who are mockers. Proverbs chapter 21, verses 24. It says, mockers are proud and haughty. They act with boundless what? Arrogance. Now, these are the people. These are the ones that that don't just um, avoid correction, avoid instruction. As a matter of fact, they make fun of it. They mock it. And, and this is very, very prevalent when you go into the, 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 the social media world. We call them what? Trolls, right? Like if you try to combat with a troll, if you try to combat with someone who's a mocker, you're, you're only going to find yourself in more pain because they're arrogant in their thinking. They're, they're, they're mocking not just your wisdom, but God's wisdom. Their hearts are hardened to wisdom and to the things of God. And in all honesty, the only cure for them, it's not experience, it's not a tragedy, but in all honesty, it's God intervening in their life in a major way. It's God intervening in the midst of their tragedy and helping them understand who he is because their hearts have been hardened. And so we see these three fools and none of us wanna be them, but if we're honest, we all have a little bit of the simple, the foolish. And and maybe at times, in some areas of our life, we may mock a little bit, right? Scripture says this, that we can't mock God's judgment. Don't be deceived, we will reap what we sow. But we wanna be what, guys? We wanna be the wise. We want to be the wise. And so when you look at, at, at the book of Proverbs, there's so much information and so many ways that we can be wise. And, and wisdom calls out, says, I will share my heart with you and make you wise. Proverbs chapter nine, verse nine says this. It says, instruct, or another word is correct the wise, and they will be wiser. Teach the righteous and they will add their learning. They will add to their learning. And so when you look at someone who's wise, and so when, when you think of someone who's wise, who do you picture? You don't have to tell me, but just, but who do you picture when, when you think of the wise people in your life? It may not necessarily be someone that's older because wisdom has nothing to do with age. I was, there was a rap line that I was finishing in my head right then. Andy Minio has this line. He says, wisdom has nothing to do with age. You can be a boy until the day that you lay in your grave. And there's truth in that, that wisdom doesn't have anything to do with age. It's what do we do with the experience and the knowledge that we have? We can either grow callous or we can grow wise. So how do we grow wise? Um, the very first step, the most important aspect to you or I Growing wise is found in Proverbs chapter nine, verse 10. Proverbs chapter nine, verse 10, it says, fear of the Lord is the foundation. Some translations say the beginning. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. Now, when we read that statement, fear of the Lord, Some of us come from different backgrounds where it is a very real fear, an unhealthy fear, almost like we picture God as 
Abraham Lincoln sitting on his throne, like at the monument, right? Like he's just this giant God just waiting to throw lightning bolts at us any chance he gets. That is an unhealthy fear of God. But then on the flip side, we have another unhealthy into where we wear shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy, or have you talked to the big guy upstairs? And, and, and either one is, is unhealthy, that there is a healthy fear. And, and what does that look like? Like we, we can explain it. It's like the fear you have when you're like managing or, or using a firearm. It's the fear that you have for your parents, but some of us didn't have a healthy parental relationship. So even then it gets distorted. And so I wanna give us three things to maybe help us have what this healthy fear of God is. And the first one is this, and they're real simple. They're real simple, but at the same time, so powerful. And this one I I love because it's one of my words. God is awesome. And I don't mean like, yeah, awesome. No, like, I mean like awe, A-W-E, like just standing in awe of who he is. Just without words, guys. Just understanding the vastness of his power, of his love, of his just creation and everything that he's done, just standing, having a moment where you know like God's, God's presence is in this moment and just standing completely in awe of who he is. Not so much what he's done, but in who he is. And we see this in Psalms 33 verse eight. It says, let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. I mean, like, I think about some of, the, some of the places I've been. I think about when I went on the safari in South Africa and just in awe of seeing like a lion and giraffes and elephants like out in their natural habitat, not in a cage. Like when I go to a zoo now, it just doesn't have the same effect as I was like, I've seen that like walking around. When we, when we experience God in in, 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 in real time, in real places, not just in church, in life, we have a different understanding of just how great he is. I remember when, when Ella was like two or three years old and I was the youth pastor at the church and we had a daycare there and I just dropped her off and, and the mommy's day out was, was taking the kids around the parking lot, pushing them. And I was going on my lunch break and, and I drove past and, and I saw Ella and I waved and she was just learning to talk. And she was like, I love you, dad, you know, three, four years old. And I just remember just like, I love being a dad. And I was going to Subway in Adamsville, which is just right down the road from my church. And I couldn't even make it to Subway. I was just overwhelmed. And God spoke is like, however much you love her, you can't imagine how much I love you. And I was just overwhelmed in knowing that the love that I felt for her was multiplied by three trillion what he feels for us. Just to be able to stand in awe of God's goodness and God's greatness. Not, not, come on, yeah, come on. And I see this in Psalms chapter eight. This is one of my favorite Psalms in verse one. It says, oh Lord, our God, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose them. In verse three, when I look at the night sky, And I see the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars, how you set them all in place. Who am I? What are mere mortals that you should think about them? 
human beings that you should care for them. You made us only a little lower than God and you crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you, ne- you made, putting all things under their authority, the flocks and the herds and the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims. Verse 9 says, O Lord, our God, your majestic name fills the earth. And it's kind of hard here in Murfreesboro. Like, I miss the country, like, to go out at night and just look up at the stars and know that he put them all in place. We tried to watch the meteor shower the other night. There was too many lights in my neighborhood. I couldn't see it. But when you get a chance, guys, go out at night where it's dark and just look up and just say, my God, you are awesome. Knowing that he created all that, but that he still created you. Understanding that God is awesome. Understanding that God is powerful. And we forget that sometimes in our situations and we think he's not going to show up. But hey, he created everything. He created the heavens and the earth. And we see this in Jeremiah chapter 10. It says, but God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. When you read the Old Testament stories and you see the power of God, like how can we not understand that? Because we're able to do so much on our own that we forget that we need God's power to do things. And the children of Israel, they were walking and they experienced manna from heaven. They experienced the parting of the Red Sea. They experienced water from the rock. They experienced all this stuff, but still they misunderstood and took God's power for granted. When we understand God's power in our life and on this earth, we should tremble in fear and not thinking that he's going to smite us, but that he can take care of everything in a moment. God is awesome. God is powerful. And this next one, really in the church sometimes, and in my life, we leave this out and that God is holy. He is holy. And what does holy mean? It's a church term. You know, maybe someone who doesn't go to church will say, holy moly, (laughs) right? Or holy cow, what is that? It's a cow with wings on it. A halo, I don't know. But God is holy. The Hebrew word for holy means separate. It means set apart. Let's think about this for a minute. God is set apart from us. Why is he set apart from us? Because he is without sin. Because he is perfect. We are imperfect. We have sin. He is set apart from us. He is all good, all knowing, all perfect, all truthful. Everything that he says and does is good. He keeps his word. And sometimes we forget the holiness of God. Because look, we make church casual. Because I don't want anyone coming in feel like they have to be anybody beside themselves to come into God's presence. But sometimes by making church casual, we make our God casual. And he's anything but casual. And for me to try to explain that, I don't know that I fully can. And so we look at God's word that that shows God's holiness in Isaiah chapter six, verses one through five. And, And when I was putting this together, this was the first place my brain went when I think of God's holiness, when I think of God's awesomeness and his powerfulness, I think of what Isaiah experiences here in verses one through five. 
Isaiah chapter six. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. And, and some of you may not fully understand what that train of his robe. And so if you think about a robe and, or if you think about a, a wedding gown and a veil has a long train. And Isaiah is saying that, that the train of his robe filled the temple because anytime a king would go into a nation and defeat the nation, he would take that king's robe and tie it to his robe. And so the longer your train means the more robes of defeated enemies that you have. And so think about this. The train of his robe fills the temple, which means every enemy has been defeated. That's how great and awesome our God is. That's how powerful our God is. That's how holy our God is. And it says above him, were seraphim or angels, each with six wings. And it's hard for us to, to picture what this looks like. With two wings, they cover their face. With two, they cover their feet. With two, they were flying. And they were all calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Come on. At the sound of their voice, think about this, guys. At the sound of their voice, as they're saying this, it says that the walls of the temple and the door doorpost shook. And then Isaiah's only response was, woe to me. Woe to me. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people with unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah is just beside himself. I have seen the king. I have no right to be here. I am unclean. I am unholy. I am unworthy. If not just me, by the very fact that I live with people who are unclean, I am made, uh, I'm made unclean by them. And that we come to God with reverence, not as the big guy upstairs. And I'm guilty of saying that at times. It's joking. It's like, I got to talk to the guy upstairs. No, he's not just my upstairs neighbor in my apartment. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. And when we can come and understand that and who he is, scripture says that is where wisdom begins. Because everything else is folly. Everything else is man's wisdom. When we can see our wisdom and earthly wisdom through the lens of who God is, that's where real wisdom starts. And so many times, though, like, like we see this not just in the Old Testament, but we see Paul's or John's revelation of this in the last book of the Bible where we see the elders and angels crying out, holy and holy and holy. That's what we're going to do, guys. Like, if, if, if you don't like worshiping for 20 minutes on a Sunday morning, you're going to have a hard time with eternity. <laughs> and it's not going to be songs that we like. It's going to be songs that declare his glory and his holiness day after day, moment after moment after moment of who he is, that he is awesome, that he is powerful, that he is the all holy one. And the problem is sometimes we, we have this picture of God and this fear of God when we fall short. 
we run away in fear. But biblically, it should be the opposite. When we understand who God is and his awesomeness and his power and his holiness, we don't run away from God in fear, but we run to God in fear. And knowing that apart from him, we are worse than what we could ever be. We will find ourselves in worse places. And I read this in my study, and it's basically it says, we are afraid that if we fear God, he will be so distant that we won't be able to relate to him. But it's just the opposite biblically. He moves towards those who see him for who he is. And in their humility, he lifts them up. And when you go back and you read the story of Isaiah, God didn't remove Isaiah from his presence. God didn't remove Isaiah from his presence. God justified Isaiah in his presence. God made him holy in his presence. And in the story, it says that one of the angels took a coal and put it on his lips and, and purified his lips and made him clean. That coal in our life today is Jesus and that he has made us clean. We don't back away out of God's presence in fear. No, we draw into God's presence in fear of who he is because of his awesomeness, his power, his holiness. And it's when we do that, then we can stand in his presence. Scripture says without fault, without blemish, justify that we can come boldly asking for what we need and he will give it to us. We don't have to shrink back afraid. We can move forward, not just in fear, but in confidence. And that's where wisdom starts. And for some of you, you may be like, man, I need wisdom. I've got a decision to make. I've got all this. And instead of worrying about what to do, the decision to make, come back. Come back into the presence of the Holy One. Come back into the presence of the powerful one. Come back into the presence of the awesome one. For some of you in here, maybe you're coming to church, but you're not in relationship with him. And that there are things that are hidden that you're afraid if he finds out, he's going to push you out. It's like, woe is me, I'm unclean. He's not going to push you out. He's going to make you clean. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray for you. I want to pray that you would see God and the greatness of all he is. And that it would draw you to him, not push you away from him. That before you seek wisdom and clarity and decisions, that you would seek restoration, that you would seek forgiveness. Scripture says that we're to be holy just as he is holy. We can't do that of ourselves, but only through his power and through his work in our life. And that starts with a moment of repentance and our guilt and our shame and our doubt and our unbelief and a moment of repentance of turning from a life following folly and maybe even mockery to a life following wisdom and an understanding of who God is. And that is surrendering to Jesus that is repenting of what we've done if that's you today and you need to give your life to Jesus and just say Jesus I give you my life I'm sorry for what I've done forgive me 
I want to do my best to follow your wise ways. And if that's you today, whether you've walked away from God or you've never been walking with God, I want to pray for you. If that's you, would you just lift your hand just for a moment? Awesome. Awesome. All right, guys, look up here at me. Here we go. Listen, whether you raised your hand today or last week or yesterday or you've lifted your heart and say, yes, I've not seen God in the light that I need to. I've not lived in a way that, that he wants me to live. In a moment, I'm going to pray. It's not my prayer that saves you, but it's yours. You have a conversation with the one who created you, the one who loves you, the one who gave his life for you. And you say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Forgive me for what I've done. I give my life to you. I believe that you died for me. And I want to live for you. Whatever those words look like for you, it's between you and him, not between the two of us. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for this word. I thank you for this work in our lives, in our church, in our city, in our families. And God, you've seen the hands that were raised today. You know what's going on the inside of everyone's heart here today. And so God, I pray that you would speak specifically to those who maybe walked in with guilt and shame and conviction, but God, I pray they leave here today not feeling any condemnation, that they are a new creation in you, that all the old is gone, that all things are made new in this moment. We don't understand how it works. We just have to trust how it works and that you make it work, that your spirit joins with our spirit and we can call out, Father, God, for the rest of us, I pray that we would see you high and lifted up, standing in awe of you, admiring your power, reverent to your holiness, not seeing you as someone who's just waiting to destroy us, but at the same time, not seeing you as just the pal down the street, but we would, we would put you on the throne of our life and see you high and lifted up. That it would not be something that, that pushes us away from you, but draws us to you into your presence. Because in your presence, there is life. In your presence, there is healing, there's reconciliation, there is peace, there is wisdom. So God, help us to start with the first step of growing wise, to understand the Holy One and to walk in fear and reverence to you. God, seal this word on everyone's heart. Let us walk in your favor and health and prosperity for our good, but ultimately for your glory. In Jesus' name, and everyone says, amen, 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 amen. Awesome.